0: Ultimately, people invest in things that I think that they could get excited about and get conviction around. And I was talking to like a lot of wealthy white men And white women, and many of them have never been hungry, and they never, you know, they didn't know anything about food insecurity, and they didn't know anything about food waste. I remember even someone saying like, "Oh, this is already being solved," and I was like, "It's not being solved." By (laughs) who? You know, because I think people just think, "Oh, hunger," and they think the food food banks, and that's just feeding America is solving everything, and that's just that's just a falsehood, right? Like Red Cross doesn't solve everything as it relates to disaster relief. We saw what happened with them in Haiti. Like there's they get a lot of money and they easily check the box for a lot of corporations so it's just easy to say like we give them a check every year we're solving hunger and and it's not really getting to the the solve of it.
1: everyone, welcome back to the More Rounds Podcast. I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Chromex. And on this podcast, we talk about how you funded your business, whether that's debt, cash flow, investors, or crowdfunding. And today, you guys, we have Jasmine Crow from Gooder here with us. She is on a mission to feed the world and end hunger. I cannot wait to get into this episode. Before we do, we have to cheers, all right? <laughs> and so today we're drinking our Black Girl Magic Sparkling Fruits. Cheers.
0: cheers. Okay. Champagne is always good. Yes, yeah, all right. It's
1: like light and dainty. So Jasmine, tell the people about you. What do you do? Where are you from? And why did you start doing what you're doing? You know, I am a military kid.
0: So I lived a little bit of everywhere. I pretty much claimed North Carolina because that's where I went to high school and college. Uh, but before that, I really lived all over the Southwest. My dad would just move pretty much every year. So we lived in all over Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, like we were just a little bit of everywhere, even Portland, Oregon, which is in the Northwest. Um, but I went to college in high school in North Carolina, so. I like to claim North Carolina, but I've been in Atlanta now for ten years. Okay, so I've been here for a while, and I am the founder and CEO of Gooder. So I'm a solo founder. I um, started the company in 2017, really organically. Like before I led Gooder, I had a consultancy called Black Celebrity Giving, and I would help celebrities basically give back. And so I started a lot of nonprofits for a lot of really big names. You know, I started Futures Free Wishes Foundation. Worked with him through that. Um, I worked with Candy Burr for her candy carers foundation still work with her now and just I was doing a lot of work in that space and I would say to my clients the same people that are standing in line for a turkey in November are like hungry in September as well like it's not just a once a year thing and Mm. one day I just drove through downtown I just saw hundreds of people that were experiencing homelessness and just decided that I wanted to you know, do something instead of always talking about it. So I started a pop-up restaurant series called Sunday Soul, and I just started cooking for people. And so I was feeding, I would say, anywhere from three to 500 people every two weeks, and it got really, really big. Lots of volunteers from, like, the AUC and just, I mean, lots of people would come out, and a video of one of my restaurants actually went viral on Facebook And I was reading the comments and people were like, this is so amazing, who donates the food? And the truth was nobody. I was couponing, price matching, you know, cooking all this food myself. And I started researching like food donations, what happens to extra food at the end of the night, and just was really blown away to learn about food waste and just how much food gets wasted in this country while so many people go hungry. And I think I was inspired really by the emergence of the food delivery apps, which, at that time in 2016, when this video went viral, we're really new. You know, you were getting like the referral codes from your friends, like use this code and get $10 off your first Uber Eats order. And I started to think there should be something like that that is almost in reverse. Like if a business has extra food, can we get it picked up and get it delivered, you know, to people like me that are trying to feed people. And so I think that was kind of the early impetus that got it started.
1: So did this require any money for you to get started or was this more like, I was using my own savings like what what was the financial inputs to get here
0: I mean to get started I would say it didn't cost money initially like to just you know get your logo and your website like little things of that nature I was able to do that just from savings but when I started really looking into like the cost to actually develop software I was like oh yeah I'm gonna definitely need money that's I mean that's when I kind of was like blown away just how much it was costing because I was talking to different dev agencies and you know in all of 2016 everybody was like oh this will never work yeah but after that I was like you know I just need to I felt really compelled to continue to work on it because I knew people that were going hungry and so I started entering pitch competitions and I entered a lot like pretty much any pitch competition I could find and I won all but one which I really one, but there was a, it was like a women's only pitch competition. The other girl was crying and it just, well, you know, she got like you know. a sympathy vote. So it was, you know, but Hey, you know, I'm still here and use that prize money initially to kind of seed the business and like get some first initial kind of prototypes and things of that nature going. And I took advantage of like free office hours, like anything that I could, if there were like dev companies that would do things for startups, I was, signing up like free hackathons whatever it was i was really in that space
1: for like the first almost two years so i want to know how much you end up winning from pitch competitions but before i do that i you know you mentioned that you lost one because someone was like crying and things like that and i i joke that well i don't joke but people hit me up all the time like how do you win shark tank right yeah i was like look shark tank is about making tv so if you want to go first the person who goes first gets the most views their website gets the most hits the people who go first are typically either like crying on the episode or like the most entertaining. Yeah. So like if you want to like go first on Shark Tank and make a million dollars when your episode drops. Yeah. You're going to have to bring out the waterworks. Yeah. Like facts. Okay? Facts. down. Yeah. <laughs> facts. Yeah, facts. I, I didn't even at the hustle. Yeah. Look, I, I wish I could cry on demand. No. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> let me stop. So how much did you end up winning from your pitch competition? I think I won
0: about 200,000. About 200,000 in total. How many competitions was that? Probably like 10 to 15. So they were anywhere from like 15,000 to 25,000 to 50,000. It's kind of how it worked. On the low end, like 5,000. So how many did you apply to? Oh, God, a lot. Like, I think, I mean, everyone I applied to, I I got in. I feel like that was, I mean, the first one I did was. 50, 25, 100. I would say probably like 15 to 20. It would be a good number, yeah. And did you have to practice for these pitch competitions? I practiced a lot. Yeah, I practiced. Because I had a very, you know, real fear of public speaking before I was in this space. Because I was, like, teased mercifully from my voice when I was a kid. And so I was really afraid of, like, getting on stage and, like, talking about the business. So I practiced probably more than anybody, like... 100 times a day, like morning, noon, and night, in the car, 10 times before I would go to sleep to make sure I had the pitch right. So the first thing you practicing to yourself? Or were you, were you like- to it? myself and yeah, mostly to myself because I knew my business and I just, I just really practiced in the mirror and like in the car. And I would practice like over songs and like learn to kind of practice almost like I was a rapper in a way, but just like pitching. So it was kind of a, a cadence to it. And then I think on a couple of times, like, Really big ones, I would ask, like, my friends or my sister or my dad or someone, like, to listen to it and, like, give me feedback. But for the most part, I think I really practice on my own. Oh, my gosh. So it was a lot of
1: practice. I'm impressed. I have yet to win money in a pitch competition. Wow. And I feel like my ideas were never, like, sexy enough. Yeah. So how did you make like, ending hunger, like, sexy. Watching on YouTube, unfortunately, is not enough. If you've learned anything from my podcast, please, please, please leave me a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I would be so appreciative, and you would help further the progress of this podcast. Now, back to the episode.
0: I don't know if it was sexy. It was just real. Like, you know, when I would always tell people, like, the statistics and how many people are going hungry and how much food is going to waste and how much money businesses are throwing away. I mean... This year, and the numbers change on hunger every year, like during the pandemic, it was around 56 million people. Right now, most statistics are going to say between like 40 and 45 million. Um, 72 billion to 80 billion pounds of food goes to waste a year. So this is a wow. ton of food. If it was a country, it would be like the third largest country in the world. Food you said 72 billion? Billion would it be. Billion. So I'm like, lots okay, of food. Million. No, Lots billion. of food. Billions of pounds of food go to waste every single year, like perfectly good food. So do it's you a know lot.
1: numbers around like when we're projected to like not be able? You know what I mean, like where we're not gonna be able to make enough food to sustain our society? I think that's a false statement.
0: Like I think we have enough food to sustain. Like we can grow food now. There are definitely a lot of like farmers, particularly black farmers, that have been losing their land. But there's also still so much food that goes to waste. So if we could just even cut food waste down by fifteen percent, we'd have enough food to feed twenty five million people. In this mm. country, so there's definitely a there's a there's options. I think so there's no are reason there. people should be going. Hungry. There's definitely no reason. I mean, they're growing food in labs now. You know, they're growing food on farms. So I don't think that this is like a. Not that I'm recommending anybody eat any of these these foods, but it's happening. You know, like beyond meat and Impossible Burgers, these are not made on farms. Like these are made in labs and kitchens and chemical, you know, facilities. So there's an opportunity that people are going to have to produce food for forever. This is a distribution problem.
1: It's it's a logistics problem, and that's kind of what our our tagline is at Gooder. So tell me how Gooder works, and, like, how do you end up making money from it? Like, who pays you? But tell me how it works for, like, an average consumer.
0: So our consumers are a B2B business, and we see ourselves as a waste management company, but really more along the lines of waste diversion. And that was really the first kind of glowing thing I saw When I saw how much food was going to waste, then right away I was like, okay, who's making the money for all this food going to waste? And it's the waste companies. And waste management is a trillion-dollar industry. I mean, it never goes away. No one ever says, like, oh, I'm going to keep my trash this week. I'm going to, you know, just live. (laughs) Oh, there are probably hoarders and stuff. But for the most part, people try to trash. trash. They want you to come pick it up. They want you to come pick it up. I mean, you've seen billion-dollar businesses be birthed in the waste space, valet trash and everything else. So I saw that. And was like, okay, I need to help these businesses, you know, become better stewards of our community and our environment. Because food waste is actually really bad on the planet. Yeah. So that's another reason why it needs to be reduced. It's after fixing our power energy grid, food waste is really right up there with like what we could do to beat climate change. And this this may
1: sound ignorant, but, you know, someone might assume... Well, if you grow the food and we don't eat it and it just goes back to the land, that's not really bad for the earth. Well, if it's composted, but that's Uh, not what happens. If
0: it goes to landfill, it sits in the landfill and it rots and it creates methane gas which is a leading contributor to global climate change and beyond that a lot of landfills are by where poor people live and you know you saw like the if you've ever seen like the Aaron Brockovich story like these are real stories and landfills are they are like emitting this harmful material and people that are poor that also could be probably using this perfectly good food that goes to waste in those landfills end up breathing that in their life expectancy goes down so it's a huge issue Mm. and so we see ourselves as a waste company and we kind of try Waste companies do volume-based fee for service, and it's just based on how much we are recovering and how often. And so, some of our contracts, like our million-dollar contracts, were there every single day, and we are recovering. You know, those are colleges, universities, stadiums, and arenas where there's a lot of waste. You so know, much. that's going to waste. And so, we're recovering that. Um, if it's edible, of course, we are packaging it and getting it to our nonprofit network. And if it's non-edible, we will compost it. And in some cases, we could take it to like a hog farm or an animal. A farm or we work with a company called Wonder Grubs and they take some of like our lettuce and other materials and they feed worms. So we do a lot of unique things with it to keep it out of landfill.
1: Are there a lot of people in the food waste space? Like, I know there are a lot of people who will, like pick up trash, and you know, like, and those are steady businesses to go into and profitable businesses because yeah. people don't cancel their trash services; they yeah. don't cancel these kinds of services. Like, is food a waste a contract
0: I think, yeah, for sure. I think it's a contract business. I do think, um, and contract businesses work. And you know, I think a lot of times people always just think of like SaaS and you know, high growth, but like true contract businesses do exist and they are profitable. Um, and I would say, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people in the food waste space in different realms you know whether they're doing composting you know there's like a pill sciences which is a really big one they've raised tons of money and they have created like a film that goes over like produce to make it last longer so mm. like lots of grocery stores and things invest in that and like use that technology to keep the fruit looking better and like lasting longer so there's there's a ton in the food waste space for sure and that's so interesting
1: like I probably could not name many so yeah. I'll be like oh good
0: like, <laughs> that would be
1: <laughs> that. I think we're the best but yeah. yes of course yeah. of course of course so after you you know you won the 200,000 from the pitch competitions what was like the first thing you were spending money on and, and are you are you a technical founder I'm not a technical co-founder yeah I'm not a technical founder I think the first
0: thing I I probably spent money on I mean I went and got a technical kind of co-founder at one point because everyone told me I needed one hired a terrible like it was not a good hire at all because they weren't like coding. They weren't building anything. And I finally asked one of my other friends who I met at a hackathon. And he was like, I was like, how do I know if they're building? Like, how long should this take? And he was like, you should have a repository. And then when I started asking those questions, they were like, oh, my build environment crashed and this happened and this happened. So mm. long story short, got rid of them. I um, that was, it was a short relationship. You know, maybe I brought them on in like July, but by November, It wasn't working. And and so we had um, separated and I went the dev agency route and then found a developer to like build me the first prototype because I had gotten a really big contract actually with the Atlanta airport. And luckily it wasn't going to start until their next fiscal year. So I won the contract, let's say in September, but it wasn't going to start until July 1. And so I had from pretty much like September of 2017 until July 1st of 2018 to get this built because I had a customer. I love that. It was like,
1: we don't, it's not like, I'm I'm building with a whole prototype. I better hurry
0: up. (laughs) It's like my pitch competition had like a prototype and it was like, this is how it works. And then, you know, you win the contract and now it's like, okay, we've got to really implement it. And it was, um, it was great because it was a really good first customer to have. um, And they're still a customer today. And it, it helped us develop the technology and because it was the airport, the insurance requirement was pretty tough, and so it helped us get any customer. Because it's like we we started so high at the top that then we could go to colleges and universities and government organizations because we had like top level insurance and security.
1: So you know, clearance. most people I feel like think that, or they say, "Oh, I want to go get the school district as a contract," or "I want to get this." These are all like, it's like on their mm-hmm. list, right? Yeah. But it doesn't seem. Or they don't really think that they can actually do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, how, how, it's elusive. How do I get KPG to be a client? How yeah. do I get, you know, the University of Illinois to be a client of mine? It's tough, yeah. Like, what, what were some of the steps that you took to kind of go and get those, like, institutional contracts?
0: I would look at a lot of their sustainability reports, and a lot of times they were saying things like, we're going to cut food waste in half, we're going to do this, we're going to... They were saying and making a lot of statements of, like, all the things they were going to do to be better by the environment. And so a lot of times I would try and find out who was a sustainability person and like start having conversations with them around food waste. And, you know, I got turned down a lot. I remember meeting with Delta, which is a huge company in Atlanta and they were like, Oh, we don't have a food waste problem. This will never work because you're not a nonprofit. (laughs) Like, I mean, they were just, they shut me down and then like, Three years later, they emailed like our general info inbox and was like, "Hey, we're looking for a solution for food waste. Can we meet with someone?" And it was just me, CEO, like trying to meet with them, and they were they shut me down. But then they came around, and now they're our customer. So a lot of times it was just kind of persistence and just you know having a I feel like a really strong sales cadence is important and having a good CRM and like building out the customers being on LinkedIn. You know, looking at food, waste, whatever the topic is and searching it and seeing who's talking about it from certain companies um, is a good one. There's still a lot of customers that we want to get. You know, I think we probably will be working on trying to build to the level I want to be at for several more years, I would think.
1: So and and how much have you raised exactly for your business?
0: If we're talking just like traditional VC, like maybe eight and a half million. Oh, wow. I've had some like, grants. Thanks. Yeah, I've had some grants and, you know pitch competition winnings and things of that nature that would probably put me to, like, around $10
1: Gotcha. Congratulations. That's amazing. Very few black women, you know, raise over a million dollars. And then to get to that eight-figure amount raised. And I know people are like, oh, raising versus making. But, like, raising is still very, very hard to do. So to be able to do.
0: And I'm really happy. I feel like we have made more money than we've raised. And I think a lot of companies that have raised a ton more money than us have not, are not doing the revenue that we're doing. And that's kind of what I always just tell myself. And so even now when I I was thinking about going out and trying to raise more money and then, you know, my board, I only have one other board member than myself. And, um, but I have like some board observers where just like the market's so bad right now, the multiples are so low, it's just not going to make sense. I was able to just say, okay, these are the things I could cut back on and just, bootstrap for the next however long this takes because I do think you know I hope not but I do think there could have been a wave for black founders that possibly is missed and Mm -hmm. so now I got to really focus on just like building a business that's profitable and you know doing it on my own
1: you hit on something I actually talked to um I talked to Raja from Shea Moisture he was a COO of Mm -hmm. Sundial Brands and I was like you know dude think I've raised too much money do you think I've done this and that he's like Forget that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what valuation you did. You only can move forward. And so it was just kind of like, okay, that was encouraging. It was just like, what's done is done and like you're right there was a wave and mm-hmm. I feel like we'll just come back you know we don't know the number one question I get all the time is Kim is curl Mix available in stores we have been saying no to every retailer for the last seven years that I've been in business and we are finally going to be on store shelves you guys we are going to be available in Ulta and I really need you guys to show up and buy us out so that we can blow up in the store and do well thank you so much for watching our podcast and please make sure you go buy curl Mix now Available in Ulta but that first million dollars right was that hard to get and like where did it come from how did you get to it like give us those steps it was so hard to get it was it was so
0: hard to get I remember I always laughed because my dad would send me so many jobs it's like I always <laughs> joke with him about this now because he I think they were just like Jasmine this is not gonna work like you know you have a great idea like you have a heart but, you know, give it up. Like, yeah, I just, I remember one time I searched my dad's emails and it were just like all these indie jobs like that he would share with me because I, I was taking so many meetings. You know, I started trying to raise money back in like 2017 and I raised money in like September of 2018. Like 2017 so it was,
1: is early for us raising money. Yeah. Is black
0: women. Yes, for it sure. It was very hard. And it was just like lots and lots and lots of meetings and just you know ultimately people invest in things that i think that they could get excited about and get conviction around and i was talking to like a lot of wealthy white men and white women, and many of them have never been hungry, and they never, you know, they didn't know anything about food insecurity, and they didn't know anything about food waste. I remember even someone saying, like, oh, this is already being solved, and I was like, it's not being (coughs) solved. By who? (laughs) You know, because I think people just think, oh, hunger, and they think the food, food banks, and that's just feeding America is solving everything, and that's just, that's just a falsehood, right? Like, Red Cross doesn't solve everything as it relates to disaster relief. We saw what happened with them in Haiti. Like, there's they get a lot of money and they easily check the box for a lot of corporations so it's just easy to say like we give them a check every year we're solving hunger and and it's not really getting to the the solve of it so i had about almost 220 meetings and i always remember the number of 218 before i got my first yes and that's because that's my birthday so i always just thought that was like the craziest thing because i at one point i kept on saying to myself after 50 meetings if after 100, after 150, like after 200. And I think I had told myself like 250. Wait, you think you took 218 meetings? To get one, yes. Girl, yes, it I would have quit. <laughs> I know, it was a lot. It, was, lot was, a lot it was a lot of meetings. That's not good. And I, and I was scheduling them all myself. You know, I was just like, I didn't have like an assistant. I mean, so it was like a lot of like, I was lucky enough that because I went to an accelerator, which I probably wouldn't wish I hadn't done in hindsight, Um, but why do you wish you hadn't done it? I just didn't like it. It was like, if you want to think about black women, you know, being in spaces where they're just not protected accelerators for me was definitely that place. I was the only black Mm -hmm. woman in my whole cohort and just very much you know, thought of as it wouldn't be successful. Yeah. I remember I went through this one program where they actually have the, um, and it was actually, I think out of Chicago, as a matter of fact, uh, this company called Village Capital. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, and they have, they rank like the other companies rank you. And so again, only black woman in the whole program, basically like- And they rank was, you on the bottom, girl? Oh, every time. Oh, she would never scale. She's not gonna last. I mean, just the very You're probably bottom. probably only
1: company surviving. I'm were... like
0: one of two of the 10. That is still kind of inside. Cheers. So so cheers to that. (laughs) But yeah, it just was. It was a very uncomfortable space to be in, and it just made me feel like it wasn't going to work for me. You know, and it was very reflective of you know, the world and, you know, there were all the white men, they would have all the, I remember getting into tech stars and there was a company and they're still doing pretty good now, but they had raised like $750,000, like coming into tech stars with just a website, nothing else. And I remember I was like, how did y'all do that? And he was like, Oh, cause we gotta be able to, you know, feed our families and, you know, have <laughs> salaries and stuff like that. And I'm like eating ramen noodles and just struggling to even get to LA for tech stars, like figuring out those kind of things. Can I, someone give me a buddy pass? Can I stay with a family member? Like that was the level of struggle I was experiencing. And they had coming in the door, raise $750,000.
1: Bro, that the was gate. one of the hardest things to do as a founder. Yeah. When you know that you're like hungry or, yeah. or like struggling to pay your bills or in debt or all these other things. And you're like you see somebody who like got their money off of like a napkin idea. Oh yeah, that's how they had it, yeah. It's like I remember like
0: one of my investors, early investors was like he went to Notre Dame and he was just telling me like, "Yeah, I raised my first like 2 million because like our roommate's dad gave it to us just again like this the connections." <laughs> and I just didn't, you know, I didn't have them. My parents had just got divorced. My sister was just graduating Spelman, so we had all kind of really pushed and put money into her education. And so we just, I just didn't have family and friends that had money. Like there was no, most of us, there was no friends and family around. Yeah. I tried to raise $25,000 on a Kickstarter and didn't even raise that. Oh, wow. So it was like a tough, you know, it just wasn't gonna happen for me if I didn't go out and try and raise capital the way I did.
1: And how did you get your, so you took 218 meetings, by the time you're on 218, you're perfect. Like you you know the things backwards and forwards. Yeah, I changed
0: it up a little bit. I, I kept, I thought, you know, I care about the hunger aspect of it, investors don't and so I really started focusing on the business but I really will say that the two the the shining thing that changed for me at at 218 is that I had my first meeting with a black investor and that was like the biggest thing you know and I remember he was on zoom at first and just wasn't on the call and he has a pretty simple name like you know he's not like It wasn't like I knew he was black or I knew he was, I thought he was a white guy because everybody was white. And then when he got on camera, he was a black guy, which now I should have realized it because every white person investor that passed on me would ask, like, they would say like, oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to this person. And, you know, they do that. They send you to another black investor. They send you to a black investor. That's what, like, Arlen Hamilton always talks about everybody that sends her deal flow. So they would pass up on me and say, have like, you seen oh, the you tweet that this. I was
1: like, if you, if another person tells me to talk to Arlen, I'm going to shake the table. Like, yeah, I, haven't seen it.
0: I saw someone who was like trying to put together like a class action lawsuit about that.
1: Randomly. Oh, wow. Wow. I saw
0: that maybe like a couple months ago. Yeah. I don't think I looked into it deeper than that, but you know, long story short, he gets on camera. He's a black man you know, he's from Detroit, he understands hunger, he's getting, he gets it, and, you know, asked some questions, and he was like, I'll give you a term sheet, and I mean, when he did that, so many other people that had previously said no started saying yes, and then it kind of, people
1: came around. That's, and you know, that's what it takes, that first yes really just changes everything when it comes to fundraising, that's amazing. Yeah. So Jasmine, we're nearing the end. I would love to know if there's something that you want to share with the people you feel like people should know. Um, and then I have one last question. Sorry, before I get to that, my bad. What's an unpopular opinion you have about fundraising?
0: Unpopular? I mean, I don't think it's it should get the glory that it does. Ooh. I think it's just, you know, we praise people because they raise these rounds and they've you know, they have these valuations and they, but every single time that happens, you're, especially for black founders, you're giving up parts of your company. You know, there's, I hear stories of like founders who, you know, they get great salaries, they, they make money off of it, things of that nature. But I don't, I wish that we could, you know, have glory just for our, our stories and just like the revenue and the, the survival and the, 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 the genius that we had to like start the ideas and it not always be around just like, oh, she's raised $5 million or she raised $10 million. Like those stories. I just, and I also hate to see like, oh, I'm the, you know, 50th black woman to raise this (laughs) or the 20. I just, those are so, for me, I just think, cause it's, it's sad that we can even be in such a, no white man is going to be able to say he's the 50th. And it, white man to raise a million dollars like it's just not gonna happen so i just unpopular for me is i wish we would stop doing that i feel yeah. you
1: you know and and war rounds is really not even about fundraising mm-hmm. it's about the story around how you funded it right because mm-hmm. like what i have found is that founders of color have had to do everything and anything to not anything but you know what i mean well, like a lot. we yeah, had, to had to get real creative to like yeah. find money for our business people have taken out lines of credit on their houses i mean like yeah. they're you know heloc or whatever or people have you know borrowed money from here that or crowdfunded or Kickstarter. like we just have to That's do the lot. most yeah. for like the least amount of money and i, I just it's I so want- sad
0: and that was going down i just saw a report that said um investments in black founders fell 40 percent Like over last year's 40%. So it had already fallen in 2022. And then now it fell another 40%. Oh,
1: don't say that. So yeah, it's like a tough, it's a tough time for sure. Well, it's okay. This is needed. And this means that people will learn something from this and they'll find value from it, hopefully. Is there anything, any message you want to leave us with or something you want the people to know or yeah. where we can find Gooder and where we can find you? Yeah, you know, Gooder is
0: Gooder.co and that's G-O-O-D-R.co and we're Gooder Co on everything social media. And um, yeah, you know, I think we, I'm really proud of the work that we've done at Gooder. You know, despite, I, w- I would say I'm more proud of the millions of people that we've fed versus the millions of dollars that we've raised. And mm-hmm. I think that, you um, that's you know that's what keeps me going and that's what i'm really excited about and i think we're gonna we are still at the beginning of like a long journey ahead we've only been in business for six years next year so we've been six years i think we have a we have a long way to go and i think we're going to do more and you know do I think we should have raised more money and we should have like if I had a dollar for every person I was like, oh, my God, if you were white, like they would be throwing money at you for mm. this idea. You know, I probably would have like the millions that I need to to run the business to the level that I want it to. But um, I think, you know, no one can ever close a door that God has opened for you. And I believe that, that this is meant for me to do this. More black people are going hungry than anybody else, any other race in this country, in the world, sadly. And um, even though we don't make up the largest population, we experience hunger at far greater rates. And I think that people like me should get the funding to solve problems that affect people that look like me. And so... However, that funding comes, you know. One day, I just, I pray Jeff Bezos just gives me a hundred million to go and
1: solve hey, hunger. Jeff, you hear so, that? Yes. He, we we need some money. Perhaps over here. he's
0: listening to the podcast. That would be <laughs> great. So. Yes,
1: yeah, somebody, someone's listening who knows Jeff, yeah, Bezos, who will send this to him and or his, you know, his wife will yeah. write you a check. You never know. One of these days, something <laughs> I like that can happen. Jasmine, you're, what you're doing is incredible. Um, I am moved by it. Thank you. I feel like. I wish I was doing something as meaningful, you know, as like feeding the world and like ending hunger. Um, I'm so impressed by you. And thank you just so much for coming on the pod. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. All right, you guys, that's it for more rounds. We hope to see you guys on the next episode. Cheers.